Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be talking about the new, the uh, second ever released to home theaters uh, release uh, following the success of Trolls World Tour is WB Animation's Scoob! With an exclamation point. Uh, I also am going to talk about the two Disney family sing-alongs uh, since the latest one aired last week. Uh, the latest episode of Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian came out, and I took a look at the at uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars miniseries again. Uh, as I've been going through the actual Clone Wars series, I wanted to revisit that one again. So uh, let's get things started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. All right. So yeah, I'm building this up because I'm wanted. I've been. I wanted to have uh, Clone Wars ready for um, Star Wars week, but uh, it's it's a lot. It's seven seasons is a lot more than I was prepared for. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, I've been covering a lot of stuff. Um, but but uh, the big release. Uh, this weekend was Scoob. Uh, this would have been the release date for it in theaters, and much like Universal did with Trolls World Tour, they released it direct-to-video as part of the uh, theater-at-home moniker. And I'm kind of glad I saw it at home and not in theaters. I don't know that it would have worked as well in theaters for me. Uh, the basic premise here is that it's a modern-day set reboot of the of the characters of Scooby-Doo. But not only Scooby-Doo, a lot of the Hanna-Barbera universe is featured in this movie. Um, so yeah, the, the big thing here is that it's CG animated, really well animated. Uh, it's not, it's not amazingly animated. Apparently there are some, some animation-like errors that people have been noticing, which I think is mainly because they're seeing it at home. But, um... I do think the big problem is Scooby-Doo is, despite being voiced by Frank Welker again, he's way too articulate. Like, row, row, row. It's, it's supposed to be like, barely, co I've always been used to Scooby as being a rarely coherent, rarely coherent, wrong voice. Like, he's, him and Astro were supposed to be like, the, act, you know, actually, you know, the unable to articulate kind of, uh, things because they're a dog. They don't have human lips, so they can't really articulate like a human can. Whereas here, it doesn't really work as much. Uh, like Frank Buckler's really, it's, it's like Frank Buckler was super enunciating because everybody ha at home, since it's so much about Scooby and Shaggy's relationship, we have to really understand what Scooby is saying. We can't have him, and, it's, and that's the thing. Puppy Scooby sounds the exact same as older Scooby. And I think that's a big problem. They should have had somebody voice a. They should have either pitched up Frank Welker's voice, or they should have had somebody, maybe a woman voice actress, do it or something. Make it sound younger, but it's it's Scooby sounds the same as a puppy as as he does as an adult, pretty much. Uh, but then the, the other thing people are talking about is that they replace the VA cast, you know, traditional VA cast of like Gray Delisle. Um, and I think Matthew Lillard has taken over since Casey Kasem's passing. But, you know, the, the traditional VA cast has been replaced for a celebrity cast. Because, you know, people care that celebrities are the ones making the voices this time. It's like, oh, that kind of sounds like Amanda Seyfried. And that's 
that is, and I guess that is uh, Gina Rodriguez for some reason. So I mean, like the only one, like the only one who's really doing a performance so much is Frank Welker because he's an actual voice actor. Everyone else is just a select like. You don't need the celebrity voices. Like, Zach, like, this would have been fine if it was a live action Scooby Doo. Except for Will Forte is, uh, for, Will Forte is kind of okay as, as Shaggy. He kind of gets it. But, like, Zach Efron is Frank, Amanda Seyfried is Daphne, Gina Rodriguez is Velma. That's like a live action casting. Why not just get VAs to play those voices? Why, what is the, what is the, having those celebrity voices do? Like, like the, um, What's her name? Uh, Blue Fal- They bring in the Blue Falcon in this, who I only ever heard of in passing. I heard I, he was in an episode of Dexter's Laboratory, and he was in another episode. He was in one of the Scooby Doo movies as a parody of like super dark, gritty superhero remakes. But here he's you know an active character played by Mark Wahlberg, who I swear to God is doing a Ryan Reynolds impression. Like, it, it's like, hey, Mark, we totally wanted Ryan, but he was busy, so could you do a Ryan Reynolds impression? That's, that's pretty much what I got from his performance. But, um, he's got a sidekick, um, not Dynamut, who was played by Ken Jeong, who is actual, who is more of a voice actor, so you don't really recognize him. But his, his, uh, sidekick, Dee Dee Sykes, is played by somebody I had no idea who it was, and she fit the character. Uh, Kiersey Clemens, who most people would recognize from Dope, I'm thinking. She was Diggy in the movie Dope, and apparently she... Oh, oh and um, she was Darling in the live-action Lady and the Tramp remake. So, um, she's also going to be in that uh, Antebellum movie coming out soon, so I hope we... I, I can't wait... I hope I get a chance to see that. Um, so, I mean, she's starting to get more... Apparently she was also Bianca on Transparent, a bunch of TV, Austin and Alley. Okay, so she looks like she got a start in, like, Disney. Uh, wait, Sweetheart? Which one's Sweetheart? That's not the... Oh, no, that's a Tropical Island uh, thing. It's a Bloomhouse thing. I thought it was the vampire thing coming out, but nah. Um, she was also a Ma- Maria Charo on Angie's Rebecca. So, yeah, like, a lot of TV. I haven't I haven't seen her, though. She's, I don't really know her, so she's not a named draw for the character. But, like, Tracy Morgan is Captain Caveman. That's a total, um, like, so, you know, stunt casting sort of thing to get a name on a marquee. And I feel like, and I, I feel like animation is so expensive that they feel the need to draw it in with celebrity voices. And I swear to God, DreamWorks ruined this. DreamWorks absolutely poisoned the well for this because they started out making movies with celebrity voices as like as the draw it's like doesn't matter what the story is it's the celebrity voices that are here and it's always been their weakest point like even now disney has always put voice acting over name recognition and in fact in doing so has helped make more people names like adina menzel was famous in the broadway circuit but how many people how famous do you think she and Kristen bell are i mean Kristen bell was famous already kind of for uh veronica mars but playing Anna and Adina Menzel playing Elsa skyrocketed them. Because, I mean, they're Disney princesses now. And then, um, like, the only one that's a real... But even then, not every time it's, 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 is that going to be a thing. Like, not a lot of people know Anika Nani Rose 
as uh, who played Princess Tiana. But I mean, like, they're not as concerned about name recognition because the name isn't the draw. The Disney name, the Disney name is the only real draw. It doesn't matter that John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman are in your movie. It's like they picked the voice based on the performance, not because of the name. They're not trying to bring in, like, Angelina Jolie to do a voice because she's not a good voice actor. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think Scoob suffers from that a bit. The best performances are Will Forte, uh, Frank Welker, and, um, I will say, uh, Jason Isaacs, who is best known for, um, uh, Lucius, playing Lucius Malfoy. And uh, has been uh, well, apparently the voice of the judge in Castlevania. And the Emperor in Dark Crystal uh, Age of Resistance. And he's also over on uh, Star Trek Discovery as uh, Lorca. Gabriel Lorca. And um, what else? Star Wars Rebels? Cool. Um, he's been a bunch of stuff. It's like, uh, oh, he's in the Rosemary's Baby miniseries. Neat. Uh, but yeah, his biggest thing is... Um, Lucius Malfoy in Harry Potter, and he is the voice of Dick Dastardly, and he is chef's kiss perfect for that. Like, he is, he perfectly encapsulates the villainy, and but still buffoonery of Dick Dastardly. Like, he's an over-the-top cartoonish villain, but he's also a complete cartoon you know he's a bumbling idiot so he manages to capture that perfectly he's the greatest pick for that uh mark Wahlberg is fine as like these right i mean it feels like he's doing a ryan reynolds impression but it's also he can't help a lot of the problem isn't so much the cast it's the writing the writing here is very bare minimum it's very it's very much it's very two-dimensional like the big the most depth there is is in exploring the origins of how scooby met shaggy and, like, the fact that Scooby's name comes from the Scooby Snacks, not the other way around. So it's the Scooby... Shaggy named him after the Scooby Snacks that were there that he was eating. So that, you know, if you want a Scooby Snack, that, that those were just a product that existed. It was like he named them Ritz Crackers. It is kind of like if he named them Ritz Crackers or Nilla. He's my, uh, Nilla! This is my dog Nilla. <laughs> Um, after Nilla Wafers, but, um, yeah, the writing is, and the writers here are, I'm sorry, wait, seven. Okay, four credited screenwriters. Seven because there's also the story credits and the, and the, um, based on the characters credits. We've got four credited screenwriters, which means this probably went through several rewrites. So we've got, uh, Matt Lieberman who wrote uh, The Christmas Chronicles and is also slated for The Jetsons and the Short Circuit reboot. That's that's apparently happening. But he also did The Admiral's Family. Uh, his, oh, dude. His first movie was Dr. Doolittle, Tale to the Chief. You gotta break in the business somehow. Uh, but he also did Playing With Fire and he's, and he's also attached to Free Guy. So he seems to be very hit or miss. He seems to be very hit or miss. He's attached to some good stuff. Uh, Adam's Family wasn't too bad, but it had a lot of the same problems. Free Guy looks amazing, and I hear good things about Christmas Chronicles. I still haven't watched it yet. Um, Adam's Adam's S-Z-T-Y-K-I-E-L. Uh, he wrote on Rampage, Maid of Honor, and Due Date. 
Apparently, he's also slated for the Black Adam movie that they're doing with uh, The Rock. So, A Bronx Life, Alvin and Chipmunks, The Road Chip. So, yeah, some real winners in these guys' IMDb's. Uh, then you've got Jack Donaldson, who did something called Once Upon a Time in Venice, which looks like a, it seems to be a direct-to-video... Uh, oh, he was an associate producer. And he also produced on Norm of the North. Good thing that they let him near this script. Fantastic. And then Derek Elliott, who also produced on Once Upon a Time in Venice. I don't know why they're they're here. Also produced on Norm of the North. Also produced on Too Human. The video game that had to be taken off the shelves for breaking the law. Some real winners here. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how these assholes got attached to Scoob, but I don't want the produce. I don't want the producers of Norman the North near anything. They should not be allowed anywhere near a movie ever again. Uh, anyway, um, but it seems like Matt Lieberman is one of the main focuses here. He's got the main story credit out of those four guys. Uh, you've also got Eyal Pudel, Eyal Pudel, E-Y-A-L. And, um, let's see, Eyal Pudel, known for Deep Blue Sea as boy number one. Okay, those are, uh, actor, uh, what about writer? Uh, Angry Birds Movie 2, he wrote the screenplay for Smallfoot and the original story for Cars 3. And he's working on some new version of Romeo and Juliet, apparently, for James Mangold. Not too bad. That's not a bad, uh, you know, writing a Romeo and Juliet update with uh, James Mangold. That's not a bad get for him. So yeah, the CEO Podell guy went from being a bit actor to uh, starting to write some kid stuff. And he's actually fairly good. Smallfoot is a solid screenplay. And uh, Cars 3 was not, you know, not bad. And neither was Angry Birds Movie 2. So it's too bad he didn't get attached to the actual screenplay. And then uh, Jonathan Stewart, known for uh, Cars 3... Uh, Juliet as well, and then Angry Birds Movie 2, Smallfoot. So these two, so it looks like they had a good story going from these, from the, from this crew here, this Matt Lieberman, E.L. Podell, and Jonathan Stewart, and then somehow these other people, the assholes from Norma the North got mixed in, it's, I'm not sure, I'd have to look at, like, the production level, look like, but usually story means you came up with the idea, and then the screenplay is who actually did the writing. That means you wrote an actual draft of the script. Um, that's as far as you know. That's my knowledge of it. But yeah, um, this fe this feels like it was it went through a bunch of people's hands. The other problem is that it relies a lot on pop culture references, which Scooby Doo has, you know, admittedly. So I mean, it's not like Scooby Doo is oh no, uh, how could a Scooby Doo movie? do pop culture references when they had their most no you know their most notable collaboration was with the freaking Harlem Globetrotters how many you know, how many times does you know Scooby-Doo throughout the years has been known for celebrity cameos but like the main celebrity cameo in this is Simon Cowell who was probably only really important 20 years ago when American Idol first premiered like that first season of American Idol. After 2010 to have Simon Cowell as your celebrity guest. Like the fact is he like the his bit would make better sense if it was like Mark Cuban. Like if it was Mark Cuban doing the bit, that would make more sense than Simon Cowell. But uh yeah, this this movie feels very 
like it's it's very half-assed in points. Like some of it, it feels very genuine and touching. Like the intro bit with where Shaggy, Scooby, and and all of them meet meet up for the first time. But then it becomes all about like you know Shaggy and Scooby feel like they're the then feel like they're nobodies. And then all of a sudden, Scooby becomes like this chosen one figure, and it's all about Scooby and Sha- Scooby being more important than Shaggy. So what does Shaggy do? And it's it, it feels it feels like there's an interesting story there, but the writers were not the ones to do it. So yeah, it feels like they, they needed some better better drafts, not more drafts, better drafts. But yeah, um, I will say the intro is probably the best part of it. Uh, yeah, the ending is, is, the ending goes super close, super close to, uh, to, um, the trope of children's movies that end in dance numbers. It was this close to ending in that way. So, you know, half a point for not going full dance number or sing along. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, I will say this, the, the character designs look great in 3D. Although sometimes the humans look a bit too human, whereas Scooby-Doo is very clearly a cartoon character. Like, Simon Cowell looks photorealistic, and so do uh, Fred, Velma, and Daphne, whereas Shaggy and Scooby look very much like cartoon characters. I think they should have gone more in the cartoon angle, and it'll bend more uh, cartoony looking, rather than try to make everyone else look so realistic. Because, yeah, Daphne... Velma and Fred look like they're in a different movie than Shaggy and Scooby. So, yeah, I think they should have not gone for, like, trying to make it look realistic, but let made it look like, a th- you know, like, take the cartoon and make it three dimensions, you know? Also, because Gina Rodriguez is playing Velma, she throws in a, a bit of Spanish for no reason. It's just there, as though, like, by the, by the way, this Velma's Spanish now. It's representation. That counts now. I don't know. It feels like, yeah, it feels like a weird bit that they just, th- that she just threw in, in the booth, and they said, ah, screw it, we'll keep it. I don't know. Suffice to say that, yeah, this, this scoop isn't terrible. Like, a lot of people are calling it outright terrible, and, I don't know, have you seen some of the direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movies? Not all of them are great. Like, compared to those, this is slightly better, in that it's mediocre. It's mediocre, and so it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Like I would, I would sooner put on things like um, uh, Scooby Doo. Um, uh, what's the one? Uh, Zombie Island. Uh, that first Zombie Island movie because they did a sequel and apparently it sucked. But uh, yeah, it, there's way better Scooby Doo movies out there, uh, even the director video ones than this. But there's also way worse. So it's just right smack dab in the middle. It's mediocre. Uh, better than the live-action ones, I'll give it that. Although, Matthew Lillard, Lillard could have easily replaced, uh, revoiced Shaggy, because I think, once again, he's taken over the voice from Casey Kasem. He's really good at it. He was one of the best parts of those live-action movies, actually. But, yeah. Um, so, moving on to some of the other stuff I watched. Everything else I watched, um, well, it was it was uh, tangentially Disney-related, because that's apparently my go-to. Because while I'm taking breaks from... Clone Wars, I'm checking out other stuff on Disney+. Plus. So, like, I checked out the latest episode of the Disney Gallery uh, Roundtable uh, documentary series that they're doing for The Mandalorian. This week's episode was about the cast, and the big focuses were Carl Weathers and Gina Carano. And I think what's interesting is that Gina Carano was actually, like, 
uh, you know, they were fans of her going into this. So she uh, was actually thought of for the character and didn't even need to audition. Like, they were like, we need, we have this badass warrior woman character. Uh, who do we pick for it? Uh, Gina Carano. I don't know why my... There we go. I don't know why I wasn't snapping like that earlier. Um, but yeah, so uh, Carl Weathers also liked waxed poetically about being uh, considered part of this the massive Star Wars universe. Those were the two main focuses. Uh, they didn't really talk about um, uh, uh, Pedro Pascal. I'm guessing because they're saving him for the uh, the actual Mando episode. I'm guessing they're going to focus on his character. And this was just like the other parts of the cast. And yeah, it was an interesting... I like this series, and I kind of hope that they do it for other stuff, too. Like, the next big Disney animated movie comes out, or, you know, the next, you know, whatever thing that comes out. I would love to see this done for more stuff from Disney. Hell, I would love to see this roundtable discussion uh, thing done for other stuff, too. I don't know. Uh, I dig it. But yeah, I watched the two uh, Disney Family Singalongs. The newest one premiered on TV this past Mother's Day. And I watched that, and the original, the original is really bad. Like, it is very, like, it is bare, bare, like, bare, bare budget, like, barely even trying. Freaking Ariana Grande is literally lying in her bed. Like, she might as well be putting on, like, her a face mask and getting ready to go to sleep. And it's like, Ariana, we need you to sing a song for us. Oh, I'm... Mm. Uh, I'm, and you know, she sings it and then, can I go to bed now? Like, it's really bad. Like, they're t they're, she's in the dark on her cell phone. It's terrible. I cannot recommend that first one. It's so, like, there's so many talented people, but it's so badly produced. It's like, we have no idea what we're doing. We're shooting stuff on our cell phones. Like, the stuff with the Huffs, uh, the Huff siblings, the, they're, they're okay. Um... Like, it's not terrible, but it's very clear, like, we're just threw this together at home. It feels like a, something that you would see on a YouTube video, but it was produced by Disney, and it feels really bad. Then the second one improved drastically because they included the Muppets. And that improved things, you know, a hundredfold because of the Muppets. Seriously, Disney, where's our weekly Disney plus Muppets uh, variety show? Even just bring back the original variety show, damn. Uh, but yeah, it's really, um, it's really, it really is a lot better. The production's a lot better. The, like, the huff dancing is way, is way more interesting and like, cause they do, um, the first one they did Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the second one they did, uh, Mary Poppins and it's a lot big, like they made their living room look like a rooftop and it was really solid. Um, it's very self-indulgent. It's very much Disney like, look at all the great songs we have. Look at all the celebrities we know. Isn't this amazing? Like, yeah, it's very much self-indulgent and patting themselves on the back. First one was worse about it. This one is much more like, let's have some more fun. So they bring in the Muppets. They bring in Donald Glover for and uh, Seth Rogen and, um, and uh, Billy Eichner for Hakuna Matata. And it's... It's definitely a little bit, it's definitely a lot better than that first one. So I'm very curious to see if this trend continues and the next Disney Family Sitting Along is going to be even better. Like actually professionally produced stuff going on. Uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, the, I, and also by that point, I think they're going to get to the point, get to the, 
get to the point where they're going to have to dig deep into into the Disney archive to find songs. So they're just going to be like, oh, God. Um, um, what about the racist cat song from Lady and the Tramp? Sure. We got nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I still say if Disney had the balls, they would do a live action. Uh, um, Uncle Remus. Uh, take out the slave, take out the slavery bit, like uh, not even address it, like make it just Uncle Remus regaling us with the stories of Rare Rabbit. Make it that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think Song of the South. Uh, they could do uh, a, a, a you know, a, a, I mean, you know what? I've said. I think I posted this on Twitter. If, the, if Disney had the balls or the gumption or the chutzpah or whatever, however you want to describe it, if they had the noise. <laughs> Uh, they would do a Song of the South remake uh, with Jordan Peele or uh, Ryan Coogler directing. Ryan Jordan Peele produced, Ryan Coogler directed, Song of the South remake, make it happen. There we go. I already, I already willed the live-action furry Robin Hood into existence. Now let's do the Song of the South remake. <laughs> Give them a reason to keep uh, um, Splash Mountain at Disney World. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, and then of course, not technical, not, not really on Disney Plus, uh, it is actually not even considered part of the Star Wars canon anymore, it is now part of the Legends canon, I didn't realize that, but, uh, I rewatched the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars miniseries, the ones that, the shorts that they did in the lead up to Revenge of the Sith, and I love it, I think it's actually... E that those short bits, that whole collection is honestly better than the entirety of the Clone Wars CG show for right now. Like the CG show isn't bad overall. I'm at the point now where it's just kind of boring and feels like it's wasting my time. But that miniseries is phenomenal. Like everything about it is fantastic. The art design, the action sequencing, uh, the the bits. Like how, this is the first time we really got to see badass Mace. Like Mace Windu getting to you know, do the lightsaber bits in Attack of the Clones was cool. Here's where we really got to see Mace Windu just let loose. Use the force to just dis destroy droids. Uh, this is also our introduction to Asajj Ventress uh, and Grievous. And it was really cool introductions to them. Uh, the droids weren't as jokey as they are in other prequel material, thank God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, excellent action, great visuals. Uh, Anakin, you see a lot more of Anakin tapping into his anger. Uh, you see bits and pieces of that in Clone Wars, especially as the series goes on. But really, this whole miniseries is about Anakin revealing his eventual fall to the dark side, which is kind of the point of the prequels altogether. But yeah, like how he's tapping into his anger over the course and the bit on his, his fight with Sasa's Ventress is really showcasing like how his eventual fall to the dark side is go, will go. It really is, it really is, uh, well executed, I think. Um, also, there's a funny bit since, uh, since I reviewed Scoob earlier, uh, we've also got Shaggy, Shaggy Rogers, the Jedi. Because, you know, why not? Uh, I love that. It, 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 oh, 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 man, Scoob. Oh, Zoink, Scoob, there's that General Grievous. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and it really is, honestly, the whole thing is just overall better than the, the, the CG series. For me, personally. We'll see if the later episodes of the CG uh, series improve. But for right now, I really am into this more so than the than the uh, CG series. And I kind of hope that Disney uh, picks it up 
from, uh, um, I guess it would be Turner, whoever, because it was a Cartoon Network thing. Uh, I, I hope they would they find a way to include that on Disney Plus. Maybe they allow it to be hosted on HBO Max or something. I feel like we need a a a, a high def mastering of this series so that we can watch it uh, whenever because it's I don't want it to go forgotten in favor of the CG one, which isn't honestly all that great personally. So yeah, that's what I watched this week. Uh, I didn't get a whole lot in, sadly. Once again, I'm trying to crunch through all these episodes of Clone Wars. Uh, I think I need to take a break uh, from that a bit and just do it like a couple episodes a day or something. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to binge through as much as I can, but whatever. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Quibi! Whatever that is. You like horror films. You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gummy cat Don't read the line. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying So unless you're really media savvy, or even if you are really media savvy, uh, you may be wondering to yourself, what is Quibi? Uh, you may not even know that that's how it's pronounced, because that's how badly they botched this. Uh, Q-U-I-B-I is a streaming service exclusively for smartphones. It was founded in 2018, and it officially launched in April of 2020. So last month, uh, it is only available, specifically only available on your cell phone. And you can only watch your watch in for long form uh, stuff. I think it's 10 minutes max, 10 minute bits. And then I think for shorter stuff, it's seven minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me pull up the website. How uh, Quibi times let's see uh, see 10 minutes or less just, just 10 minutes or less I'm not sure what all let me go to their main website see what it says Ooh, 14-day free trial. Daily Essentials, sure. Shows. New shows every week. Mm, not seeing 
anything about uh like it's just it's maximum uh 10 minutes a piece and it's one of the, it was uh founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg of Dreamworks fame and I think uh formerly of Disney and it's been a complete and total failure. <laughs> um, so what it is, is it costs you five bucks a month with ads, or you can pay them eight bucks a month to go ad free for, for only its exclusive content that you only can watch on your phone. There's no other, and you can only watch it in 10 minute increments. What kind of stuff could you watch? Oh, well, there's Barkitecture. Yes, there is Barkitecture, a show all about building doghouses. Uh, with heartthrob contractor Tyler Cameron and interior designer Delia Kenza. Custom luxury dog homes for the furry friends of their celebrity clientele joy oh what else do they have over here on quibi uh they've got dismantled with uh titus burgess take two blindfolded chef contestants blast a dish into their face then make them recreate it for celebrity judges to win a cash prize what else we got uh we now the big thing is uh 50 states of fright that's the one that they're kind of really touting as like the actual good show. It's got it's basically the premise is every ep is every arc, every overarching story, it takes place in a state. So you've got the Golden Arm one, which everyone is mocking and rightfully so, it looks like garbage. Uh takes place in Michigan. There's the Ball of Twine in Kansas. They've also got Scared Stiff, which is a uh, something about a Yeti in Oregon. Gray Cloud Island in Mississippi, in Minnesota. Not sure what that's about. Destino, Florida. Uh, four pledges are ready to go out of the, okay, but the initiation ritual. Okay, so it's uh, initiate. So some dark uh, fraternity ritual in Minnesota. Uh, Miami police uh, talk, take a call about a stolen goat, and it's a surveillance. Their surveillance footage from their body cams. Um, so yeah, uh, not a, not amazing. But, I mean, it's an interesting premise. Uh, you've got Sam Raimi producing, so it's not going to suck. But, I mean, like, it's premiered with a woman with a golden arm. That was their big premiere. Oh, you've, oh here's a good one. You've got Chrissy's Court. Real cases, real people, and real legally binding decisions. Chrissy Teigen is, it, it, is a courtroom judge. An official legally binding show. And and her and her bailiff is her mom. Sure, I'll watch that. Yeah, that really one makes me subscribe to Quibi. Uh, they do have something called free Ra hashtag free Rayshawn, uh, which seems to be about um, uh, 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 police and uh, you know Black Lives Matter sort of thing uh, with Lawrence Fishburne. As the uh, lieutenant, police lieutenant, you got Skeet Ulrich in there. Um, I don't know if that's any good uh, because I can't watch it on my phone. 
That's which we'll get to. Um, some music documentary called And Music, Ampersand Music, uh, with music has many masters. Some play instruments. Compared to the a uh, bunch of people I've never heard of. Apparently, Ana Grande shows up. Derek Ali, YG, whoever that is. Ozzy Osbourne, Sharon Osbourne, Kelly Osbourne. Um, so, okay, sure. Um, if that were any, if that were any good, it would be on somewhere else. Uh, Cup of Joe, travel celebrity. What is it about coffee? Joe Jonas has toured the world as a pop star. Now he's ready to explore it as an average Joe. As he journeys through eight cities, road rides, celebrity friends will help him experience them as a local. All episodes streaming now. Featuring Nick Jonas, Kevin Jonas, Sophie Turner, Louis Capaldi, David Hasselhoff, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Louis Hamilton, and Jack Black. Okay. Berlin with David Hasselhoff. Oh my God. Amsterdam with Sophie Turner, Barce Barcelona with the other Jonas Brothers, New York City with Tina Fey, Austin with Matthew McConaughey. Okay. So it's not actually about coffee, uh, but it's just some celebrities dicking around. Uh, the big thing that you might remember from it is uh, his dummy, which is Anna Kendrick teaming up with a sex doll, a feminist sex doll. Uh, and they go on an adventure. If you've seen that trailer, yes, that's exclusive to Quibi, and you have to watch it in 10-minute increments. You have to watch it in nine 10-minute increments. Uh, flipped. Uh, some comedy, looks like Will Forte, or is it Will Forte or Will Arnett? Uh, Will Forte and Caitlin Olsen. It looked, I mean, that's a, uh, Andy Garcia, Ava Longoria. So, I mean, this could be fun. Rebecca Romaine, Jerry O'Connell. So, I mean, like, uh, the, a comedy about uh, flipping houses. I mean, it, it could be funny. I'm not going to watch it because I'm not going to watch it. I'm sit there and watch it on my phone. Uh, what's the other stuff we got? Uh, Elba versus Block. Idris Elba and Ken Block. Insane stunts, cars, and superstars. Go head-to-head -head and see who's the best behind the drive. I did not know Idris Elba was a, a stunt could do stunt driving. I did not know that. That is pretty neat. It's not going to make me subscribe to Quibi, but that is an interesting fact I now know. Something about um, Fierce Queens. Great title. Thanks. <laughs> the Thanks, Quibi. You want to come, come in here like, hello, fellow kids? How do you do? Uh, floored? Featuring uh, Lisa Koshi, Liza Koshi, something about dance crews and judges. Okay. Uh, Got it. Every time I have to go back and hit load more. Fight like a girl. Hannah Kendrick hosting some women's fight tournament thing. I guess. Ten women paired with WWE superstars. Together they find the strength, courage, and ability to transform themselves both on the inside and out. Cool. Cool. Fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Just women being teamed up with WWE divas and superstars. Okay. Um... The Game Show, gay, y, gay, gay with a Y, 
Uh, Gone Mental with Leor. I promise Iron Sharpens Iron. Let's roll with... To oh, of course. Yeah. Stoner comedy. Memory Hole with Will Arnett. A Most Dangerous Game adaptation. I think it's Chris Hemsworth or is it Liam? I think it's got stuck with Liam. I think, I think Liam got saddled into this. Yup. You wouldn't see Chris hanging. Chris gets Netflix. Liam gets Quibi. <laughs> that should tell you all you need to know about the Hemsworth brothers. But apparently there's this other... Punked is back. Reno 911 is back. You know, Singled Out. Remember Singled Out? It's here. Skirt with Offset. Uh, thanks a million. With Chris, with Jennifer Lopez. Big names, big money, big giving. Celebrities kickstart a chain of kindness, each giving $100,000 to an unsuspecting individual who have had a positive impact on their lives. With a catch, watch as the Pay It Forward chain unfolds with Kevin Hart and, and Jennifer Lopez. Aw, isn't that so sweet? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This, this, oh, this whole thing just that that kind of thing just screams like, look at us, aren't we amazing? Pat ourselves on the back because we gave away a fraction of our net worth, a less than a percent of a fraction of our net worth. Good for us, Jesus. So anyway, that's what you can expect from Quibi. Apparently, they also roped in Spielberg into this nonsense. If this lasts long enough, apparently Spielberg's going to get a show on Quibi. It's going to be another horror anthology series. Because apparently they just greenlit a whole bunch of them. Expecting this to just blow up. And it's failed after a single month. And you may have noticed this in the news. Because Katzenberg blamed its failure on the coronavirus. Yeah, that thing... That's keeping people home and skyrocketing streaming numbers for everybody else. Apparently that just, that it just killed Quibi. Quibi just couldn't handle the streaming numbers from all the people staying home because of the virus. So yeah, that's utter, that's utter and complete garbage. Yeah, Katzenberg's just trying to save face and say, "What's up? It's not a bad app. Shut up! Not, it doesn't suck. We totally didn't screw it up, you guys. Shut up!" God, what a buffoon. So yeah, no, the coronavirus didn't screw over Quibi. It was a stupid idea from the beginning. Here, let me break down for you why. Like, if if it wasn't obvious, here's how to be successful at streaming a wide variety of options roku uh smart tvs smartphones uh tablets computers um low cost of entry which is you know once again it's not a, the cost of entry for this isn't the problem uh content you need solid content have a back catalog for of stuff like uh disney plus does uh, or Netflix um, have you know, or Hulu have have access to currently airing television. Uh, you know that's kind, and then of course you bring in that's when you entice them in with the other exclusive content. So instead of just bringing back dead TV shows everyone else has forgotten about and moved on from, 
have the entirety of Reno 911 or the entirety of Punked or the entirety of uh, a show, you know, any number of... Do you want to know how most TV channels got their start? What is... Syndication. Most shows got their start airing stuff in syndic that was syndicated. Boomerang, um, Nicktoons, uh, TV Land. So many... Uh, G4, I think, got to start doing uh, syndicated shows. You get... You get your start doing television. The cheapest way to have programming and get people watching is to put stuff on that they like. Syndicated shows like Seinfeld, Family Guy, Frasier, Cheers, um, Cops, I think, is syndicated now. So many. That's why so many shows want to make it to the syndication number, which is, I think, 100 episodes. So they can just be sold out to any channel out there and be aired whenever. And... That's how you get started. You get people's eyes watching because you've got net, you've got a network of all the stuff that they like that isn't on network anymore, isn't on their original network anymore, so they can watch it there. That's why TBS constantly has like Family Guy running and Big Bang Theory running. They have all these shows that are in syndication running on their channel to help pe pe keep people watching, and then while they're there, they can check out the new stuff that they're airing. I mean, think about this. When Netflix started, you could only watch other people's content. Remember when Netflix premiered its first original programming? I think it was like Beast of No Nation or one of the other movies like that. It was un no. Um, one of the first things they did was uh, uh, Arrested Development season four. It was unheard of that Netflix could possibly air its own content, but they had gotten big enough to the point to produce their own stuff, and now they're working on exclusively producing their own stuff while still having that back catalog of other stuff that they can, you know, that's not, that's cheap to host on their channel. You know, essentially their network, their network, their uh, service. Quibi has pretty much only original content. Like, it's not the back catalog of Reno 911, I don't think. I think it's literally just a new uh, season of Reno 911 that you have to watch in 10 minute clips. Let me see. Because if it was the entire back catalog of Reno 911, that might be something. But I think it's just, yeah, one season, a new, a wholly new season of Reno 911, a rebooted season of Reno 911. That's it. Like, it's not the entire catalog of Reno 911 that you can just rewatch uh, whenever you wanted. It's one singular season that you have to watch in 10-minute bits. And I think that leads us to our other problem. Not only is the content not good, why the hell would you only limit it to 10-minute clips? Like, this isn't Vine. We can sit there and we can pause. You know why Netflix and Hulu and now Disney Plus, all these folks have a working platform because if we need to stop we hit the pause button and we can go do other things and then when we're done hit the play button and get right back to it we don't need to watch things in 10 minute increments that's a stupid idea jeff hey jeff 
We, people don't want to watch things in 10-minute increments. This isn't YouTube anime in 2009. God damn it. Seriously. Okay. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember this. Anime, back in the early, early days of YouTube, had to be released in 10-minute increments in like 120p. Not even 240p, like 120p. When you've got Crunchyroll and Funimation and Netflix host and Hulu all hosting their own anime now, imagine saying, oh, we're going to host 10-minute clips of your favorite anime in 120p again. And then charge people. That was for free. That was for free back in the day. Now imagine that, but charging people five bucks a month to watch it with ads. But if they want to watch it without ads, they can pay eight bucks a month. Oh, and it's only on your phone. Like, what planet is he on that, they, that he thought that this was a brilliant idea? Like, this isn't a brilliant idea. This isn't some niche market. This is an idiotic idea. People watch things on their phone when they can't do it anywhere else. Granted, not everybody else is rich enough to have a smartphone and a Roku and a computer and all these other things. Some people just have the phone. Sure. But you don't limit it just to them. Like, you don't limit it to just phones. People watch things on their phone because it's convenient, not because it's good quality. If you want to watch things... If most people just want to watch things on their TV when they get home. And a lot of people have that ability to now because it's that easy. Because you plug in a stick from Amazon or Roku and you could just pull it up on the screen now. Hell, if you've got a gaming device outside of the Nintendo Switch... Then you could just watch it there, watch it through that. Why would you only limit? Not even, that's the thing. It's not even phones and tablets. I'm pretty sure it's literally just smartphones. Smartphones and tablets. Okay, sure. I kind of get that. That's a wider margin. It's not great, but it's a wider margin that includes both phones and tablets. No, just smartphones. So not only are you forcing us to watch things in 10-minute increments, we literally have to hold a 2-inch by, like, 12-inch at bet Here, hold on. I have my iPhone in my hand. This, is, this podcast is not sponsored by Apple. Taking a look at my phone, it goes from the palm of my hand to the... From, from the base of my palm to right about after, in between the uh, first and second knuckle of my middle finger. Pull out the measuring app. I'm doing this live on mic because I'm proving a point. Okay, we want... Crap. It's hard to do with one, one hand. Okay, we want... Base of the palm to about uh, here. Okay, about eight and a half inches long. So about 
I'll round up and say about nine inches long. And that's where the case on. So it is probably about eight inches long. Okay, clear. Let's see how wide it is. It goes from the base of my palm to, well, here. Let's, it goes from the base of my thumb knuckle to the second knuckle on my middle finger. So, yeah. Yeah, looks like about five inches long, wise. So you've got about eight inch, eight inch by five inch phone. And that's not even the biggest phone for my phone. So I mean, you figure it's probably about 12 by six inches or so, something like that. Why would you want to watch a TV show or a movie on that size of a screen? Literally, move it to tablets and would be immensely better. Oh my god, you could be you could watch so many things better on the tablet, but no, it literally can only be on the smartphone, Jeff. Why would you do that, Jeff? So yes, this platform is entirely inconvenient and does not work for pretty much anybody. Why why would you pay eight bucks a month to get ad-free shows in 10-minute increments when pay? Let's see. How much am I paying for my Disney Plus subscription? What is my Disney Plus subscription? Let's take a look at their... Uh, come on. Okay, now it's on me in. Let me take a look at my account. Out of the bar, billing details. I've done it through iTunes, okay, but just want to see how much I'm paying for it. Okay, while we're doing that, I'm gonna move over to Netflix. Pull up my uh, numbers there. How much I'm paying for stuff on this. Okay, Netflix, I'm on the standard plan, which uh, cost me what? $12.99 a month. $12.99 a month uh, screaming for two screens in HD in, um, on Netflix. Uh, did not pull up on iTunes yet. I don't know why it's being a pain. Hold on. Um, here, let's just pull up my bills for, rather than dig through all this red tape, I'll just go directly to my source and look at my billing. So, if we pull up my bills... We'll act, search the activity. Oh, crap. Uh, no, that's not when I... Okay, here we go. Search. We look at... Okay, Hulu. twelve eighty a month for ad-free on Hulu. Uh, for Disney Plus... Hmm. It's 
through iTunes, so I may just have to pull it up on my phone. Let me see. iTunes, my subscriptions. Here we go. Subscriptions are Disney Plus. I got it for one year. So not billed again until uh, November. $6.99 a month for Disney Plus. So, for the same price you would pay to get month to get every month on Quibi to get no ads and watch things at 10 minute increments only on your phone, you could pay the same amount to get the the access to the basically the entirety of the Disney archive. Like almost the entirety of the Disney archive plus original programming plus you know you've got Na National Geographic pretty much all of Star Wars there. Uh mine is like the Ewok adventures for some reason. They haven't gotten that in yet. Uh all the Marvel all the MCU stuff, animated stuff, TV shows, movies, Disney stuff going all the way back to the early days of Mickey Mouse and Snow White. You've got uh, you've got some huge, vast quantities of the Disney vault available all at your disposal on every platform. Roku, Amazon Street, Amazon Fire, uh, whatever your smart TV brand is, Xbox, PlayStation 4, your computers, your tablets, your phones. For the same price. You can also watch 10-minute increments of a show, but only on your phone. And it's none of it is stuff that you're familiar with, except for maybe Reno 911 and Punked. Or Singled Out, if you remembered that. So, which do you buy? Which do you buy, you the discerning consumer? The entirety of the Disney vault that you can watch anywhere? Or... Crap you can only watch on your phone in 10-minute increments. Like, who... How how did Katzenberg think this was gonna go? Like, of course nobody's gonna sit... Pay eight bucks a month to watch 10-minute clips. That's what YouTube is for. If people wanted to watch 10-minute clips of a show, they would just watch things on YouTube for free. Like, there's no reason to pay to watch things in 10-minute increments. Oh, like seriously, just expanding it to tablets would have been so much better. But if you wanted this to succeed, number one, you don't do it in 10 minute increments because that's stupid. Number two, you make it unavailable on all platforms like Disney did. Disney did it on all platforms day one because they're not stupid, Jeff. You used to work at Disney, Jeff. You started DreamWorks so you could do do better business, Jeff. Now Disney's doing better than you, Jeff. And I am so happy to see it, Jeff. Not that I'm rooting for the rooting for the uh, giant mega corporation or anything. I'm just saying, it is so beautiful to see Jeffrey Katzenberg fail to the company that he, you know, screwed over in the '90s for his own benefit. Like, yeah, that whole thing. Is a is a just his own drama and a half, but yeah, 
I'm so glad to see he's he's just completely fallen flat on his face with this one. He thought it was going to be so innovative. Oh, what a buffoon. Anyway, what a maroon. Um, but yeah. Also, fun fact: this this uh this app is under is is already been uh challenged with a lawsuit by the developer Eco for infringement of technology. So not only did Jeffrey Katzenberg all, all, you know, do a stupid idea, he apparently had to steal somebody's tech to do it. And before they filed suit, they Katzenberg filed a countersuit before they could even file a, you know, copyright infringement suit. Oh. Uh, maybe not copyright. It wouldn't be copyright infringement. I think it would be patent infringement. But whatever it is. Uh, oh. Oh, this is so beautiful. I want to watch this crash and burn so much because it's so gloriously stupid. The only problem is how are we going to... Uh, the, the, a bunch of this media is probably going to be lost to the ether. And I don't know who wants to save it. Save the 10-minute increments from Quibi before the company goes under. But I can't wait to watch it crash and burn and Jeff Katzenberg have to stand there and wring his hands like, I don't know what went wrong. It was the coronavirus. I mean, I, it was probably Disney. Disney totally undercut me. Or it was HBO and their whole news service that, that, that had better offerings than I did. Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff. You miraculous, marvelous buffoon. Oh, boy. So that was the Ballad of Quibi. And I can't wait to see it crash and burn some more. This is a glorious train wreck. This is a glorious train wreck if ever I saw one. Uh, that's all I really had to say on the topic. So the discussion part's over. Before we get into the plugs, I do want to make one quick announcement. Next week, we'll feature a new segment called Patreon Corner because I got a Patreon. Patron. Patron. Patreon. Patron. Patron. Anyway, somebody supported my Patreon. It's my friend Mar. They're big. They're a, they're a friend of mine back in the day, and they are giving me two bucks a month. And uh, next week, I'm going to review one of their favorite movies, The Fifth Element. I haven't seen it in forever. I remember liking it, I think. Not not sure how I feel about it because I haven't gone back and watched it in forever. I do know it's Luke Besson's 13-year-old uh, work come to life. So I am going to bear that in mind. But yeah, I'm going to watch uh, The Fifth Element for next week for Patreon Corner. And if you want to be like Mar, you can do so by donating it to my Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And you can suggest content for me to review and check out all of my uh, pro other programs that are exclusive to Patreon. I'm going to keep uh, Make a Better Movie and um, Munch Along exclusive to Patreon. And now that I actually have patrons, I may try to do uh, a Skype kind of uh, a thing. I'll have to talk to my buddies over at Cinematic for the People on uh, how do they how they go about doing the munch along because I think I might try to do that with the patrons with patrons if I can start getting enough people to do it. So we'll see about bringing those shows back over on Patreon. But the only way to get access to them and to suggest content for the show is by uh, supporting the show on Patreon. Patreon.com/slash Popcorn Junkie.
So that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting us on your web browser, whitelisting us on your ad blocker. And hey, while you're here, check out all of our other fine programming. There is going to be a new episode of uh, Dungeons & Dragon Types out this week which I believe is just us going further into the cave as we make our way towards the the uh, the miners that have been trapped in there. And, uh, yeah, we got through the bats, and hopefully there won't be any more bats. But t- stay tuned to that. Um, you can also check out uh, Living in the Stacks. We've uh, kind of taken a bit of a hiatus, but um, I'm going to try and get a couple of uh, episodes out this month that are that are the micro fiches, the mini episodes. I'm gonna check with everyone else to see how they're doing, and if they want to try one out or not. But uh, we'll we'll keep you posted on that, and then check out all of uh, our other stuff. Uh, Donna's stuff over at the Snarkcast, Once More with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would love to join our fledgling little network, give us an email, uh, shoot us an email at gumbiketnetworks at gmail.com. That's G-U-M-B-I-E. Uh, cat networks like uh, the uh, T.S. Eliot poem uh, and you, we'll get back to you. See if you're a good fit. Uh, you can also support, find the show on your various podcast providers. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher. And if you're, fun, if you're listening to the show there, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also uh, find us on social media, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. Uh, I w- am going to try and do a munch along uh, on Twitter for the Fifth Element, uh, as long as I'm not trying to work on anything anything else. Uh, you can also uh, you can also find us on Letterboxd at Corn Junkie Pod. I'm going to try. I'm still trying to get myself back into Stardust because uh, apparently they, there's something over there on Stardust with zero ratings that should give me an idea, and Stardust should give me a, an idea of what to cover on 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 episodes now that I'm stuck at home. Um, and uh, Instagram, is, if you want, Popcorn Junkie Podcast. I'm not really active there. And then, like I mentioned, patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Little as $1 a month. That's all you got to pay to get access. No tier system, just $1 a month, or however much you're comfortable giving. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, any, you know, any, of course, you can always send me an email directly at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll get back to you privately, or if you want, to, want me to address something on the mic, I can do that. And then um, I haven't mentioned it here, I don't think, but uh, I started a Let's Play channel because I'm a buffoon who thinks starting a Let's Play channel in 2020 is a good idea, but it's Pokemon-themed. I'm doing Pokemon Let's Plays, like John of the Pokemaniac, so just look up John of the Pokemaniac on YouTube. You should hopefully find it if YouTube isn't burying me like the piece of garbage that I am. Anyway, that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and we lost a, a good good bunch of talented folks over the past week, and uh, our hearts go out to their families, and I want to thank them once again for all the talent and love that they've shown us. So, thanks, y'all. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork.